Welcome, fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week, we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. Dr. Obrey M. Hendricks on the podcast today. Dr. Hendricks is a visiting research scholar at Columbia University, and he's also held positions at Drew University and at Princeton Theological Seminary. He has also been the president of the Payne Theological Seminary, which is the oldest African-American theological institution in America and probably the world. Dr. Hendricks is an ordained elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. He is also the author of Christians Against Christianity, a book that came out a couple of months ago. When I saw this book coming down the pipeline, I knew I wanted to have Dr. Hendricks on the show. It's not an easy read, and it's not a fun read, but Christians Against Christianity is almost a a compendium. It's a one-stop shop. All that you need to know to know what is happening with uh, evangelicals, and especially American evangelicals today. Dr. Hendricks has compiled a list. He has done the research. He has put all into one place all the different things that are being done in the name of Christianity, which are so opposite to the way of Jesus. I was grateful to Dr. Hendricks for writing this book, and I was also very grateful that he decided to come on the show. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Professor Hendricks, Dr. Hendricks, thank you for coming to the tent. It is a real joy and an honor to have you here. I can see a lot of books behind you. Dr. Hendricks, uh, what is your field of study? I'm trying to look past your shoulder and see what all those books are. What, what are you currently teaching on or, or working on right now? Well, um, my doctorate is in religions of late antiquity, uh, early Christianity, formative Judaism. Okay. Um, but, you know, I do most of my work for a while. It's been uh, about the intersection between politics and religion. Okay. Uh, political economy uh, and, and religion. And so uh, I'm reading a lot. I continue to read a lot of political economy, a lot about uh, capitalism and socialism. But uh, underneath, I'm a, uh, I'm a biblical scholar, um, but a very political biblical scholar, uh, trying to, uh, to read past the, uh, <clears throat> the misleading overlay, uh, theological yeah. overlay, and, and uh, uh, imperialist overlay uh, biblical interpretation, you know, to get back to the um, to the very basic uh, oppressed peasant setting yeah. of certainly the Gospels and, and most of the Bible. What I, I looked at, I did some research, and you you did your doctorate on dom, dominion, is that right, or on domination? No, no, no. It was the the, uh, the title was uh, an ideology. I think it was a, an ideology of domination. I, actually, my, my dissertation was on one word, Eudaios, uh, uh, which is usually translated as uh, Jews in, uh, in the, the Gospels, in particular, well, well the, the Gospel of John, actually, and uh, it's translated as Jews, and I, and I just took pains to show that it's a, uh, a class, uh, it's, it's a class term, it's, it's an ideological identity, and uh, so 
believe it or not, I wrote a whole dissertation on that one word. But you know, it, it took me a lot of places, rhetorical criticism. It took me uh, uh, way back in history, uh, you know, going going way back into uh, into the uh, classical Greek and all of that. It was it was interesting. How did you meet the? How did the, the political Jesus come into your life? How did you first? Because that's not what a lot of Christians naturally assume that Jesus was a political figure. Where where did this come from? This awareness that those two words belong together quite well. Yeah, interestingly, well, it you know was it was relatively late for me. I um, you know I, I grew up uh, seeing Jesus as an object of worship. You know, I, I left the church at at an early age because I just couldn't accept um, you know this this worship of uh, of this this toothless icon, you know, and, um, yeah. oh, I don't know. I, I, I read Elaine Pagel's book, uh, Gnostic Gospels, uh, while I was working on Wall Street, believe it or not, and it raised some questions to me, and I realized that there was a, a, a political dimension of the way Jesus was, was seen, but it wasn't, I didn't really get a real sense of it until I got into seminary, and I read stuff by like, Richard Horsley and yeah. Chet Myers, er, you know, early stuff from the, yeah. from the, uh, the 80s. And that really opened my eyes. It was more Richard Horsley than anyone else, I think. And James Cohn's book, God of the Oppressed, yes. I mean, what does a, a Wall Street guy picking up Ched Myers and Richard Horsley and James Cohn, like what, what did that do to you? Well, you know, by the time I read them in seminary, uh, well, it really op op opened my eyes. I mean, I, you know, I had an interesting life because I grew up, a street soldier in the Black Cultural Nationalist Movement in Newark, New Jersey, right? And, uh, you know, the guys with the dashikis and the afros, so you catch him at the door, you know, when you walk, when you slam the door. But, um, and I got, the way I got to Wall Street, really, because it knows in the, uh, the mid-70s, that it was still like uh, Dodge City, you know, it was, it was like wide open and, and uh, it was fun. And uh, so, I, I mean, I wasn't a capitalist at, at heart, but, um, you know, I had a choice of doing that or law school. My parents weren't going to let me off the hook. But um, when I read Gnostic Gospels, I'm like, wow, man, you mean this is not what I thought? There's, there's, there's room to be a thinker and a questioner here. And so when I got to seminary, I was open to reading Cone and, uh, um, and, and Horsley. But it wasn't Cone first. It was more, more Richard Horsley. You know, it's, it's book pandas, pandas, prophets, and messiahs, and then his following books woke me up. And then you were so you started, you changed careers. I mean, you went from being a banker and an economist into being a theologian. But you described so we're here to talk about Christians Against Christianity, your new book, which I'm we're definitely going to talk about in a bit. But early on in that book, you describe how David Gushy, the church historian and theologian described you and the Reverend Jesse Jackson as black evangelicals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell us about that. You didn't like that. Why didn't you like that label? It, it, yeah, I want to say I, I didn't like it because of, let's just say I didn't agree with it. <laughs> David, David has come to be a friend of mine, someone I, I, uh, I respect immensely. You know, he's, he is a foremost Christian ethicist. Um, and as you know, he's standing against the, the uh, right wing evangelical tradition. But no, I, I didn't I didn't like that because you know evangelicalism, man, that was Jerry Falwell and the very guys who, um, you know, as I write in the book, uh, Jerry Falwell um, uh, was a, a, a anti-integrationist, a, a segregationist, and he 
he was behind closing down the schools in the town that I grew up in. Well, I was born and I didn't grow up there, but he closed the schools down out of because he didn't want them segregated. And so I'm like, no, man, don't, don't, don't associate me with, with these uh, evangelicals. But uh, David did it because he's an evangelical and he felt the same leaning toward seeing the radicality of the gospel. So he associated us with him or him with us. So that's why I, 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 I didn't like that particularly. I, that wasn't for me. But like I said, he's going to be a, a, a friend and a guy I deeply uh, respect. Tell us about the, the writing of this book. So, okay, first of all, I, I want to say the book is called Christians Against Christianity. Well, I was saying to you before we, we went on the recording, I said it's not an easy, it's not a fun read, but it's a really good read. And I, really, I have to say, Dr. Hendricks, it, it's like you've created the, the book. It's kind of one of those, if you're going to read one book, dot, 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 because what you've done is you've just, it's like a compendium. You've done the history of white American evangelicalism and what it, where it came from. A lot of it's in their own words. You, you put a lot of your personality in there, so it's not a boring read, but it's like, it's like a handbook to a whole movement. And, uh, and you cover everything. I, I was really impressed. But what I also thought was, while I was reading it, was how is your soul? <laughs> Because you've had to spend a lot of time with some not very nice people and some really bad ideas. How is your soul? How did you, how did you survive the compiling and writing of this book? You know, I hope it is very, Levin was said it's very readable. And, you know, you can read it in a day. Um, and I, I, you know, when I, when I write, I try to write with people in the pew in mind, you know, like my aunt Kate, you know, uh, my elderly aunt, you know, so they wouldn't have to struggle with theory or anything. And, um, and, uh, but, um, you know, it was, it was, it, it was very difficult because I, I mean, I was just moved like many of us by a real sense of, of outrage and sadness with what we saw people doing, uh, who had the nerve to call themselves Christians, um, these right-wing evangelicals. And, um, it helps my soul to be able to, to feel like I was doing something, but the reason why it's so far-ranging why I deal with, you know, homosexuality and abortion and even unions, right, as, as you know, and uh, guns and, and, you know, immigrants and Muslims and all that. And, you know, it's because um, Christians need to know just how wrong these people are and how fallacious their teachings are. And so I wanted to deal with all these major areas to show that these guys are wrong across the board. And because I realized, although many followers of right-wing Christianity, well, let's face it, many of them are hateful and, and uh, they're, they're racist, but many of them are, are wrong, but they're sincerely wrong. They just don't know any better. They, they trust their leaders. So I'm, you know, I wanted to give them an alternative to see how wrong their leaders were. Also, you know, Trump just needed to be dealt with so right you know i mean this is as much a political book as it is about christianity maybe more even more so because we have to bring down this this sick personality cult of this sick evil man and so i wanted to strike as hard a blow as i could against that and uh against trumpism not so much about trump but trumpism because you know he's going to hell as we know we don't have to worry about that because he's he's an evil man and and if anyone wants to argue, we can 
That's not a problem. It's easy to show work. And that's, that's one of the things I also want to point out. We need to talk about good and evil. Some things are just evil. Um, and, and I want to, to, to show the evil involved, you know, in this and hurting people. You know, people, are, people have been killed and maimed and all that uh, as a result of right-wing evangelical um, rhetoric. But there's a lot of black evangelicals, too, who share a lot of the same basic beliefs and tenets and doctrines. How come how come they haven't gone all Trumpism? How come there's not a whole lot of black evangelical Trump? You know, right wing evangelicals, as I mean, underlying it, uh, as you know, is this um, this stratum of uh, Christian nationalism and white supremacy and, and, and a whole lot of the evangelical churches, white evangelical churches. Don't make black black Christians um, don't make them welcome. Well, I think that's basically it because folk could intuit the racism, you know. And um, there are some black evangelicals, right wing evangelicals, but there aren't many, you know. I mean, there are always going to be the Clarence Thomases, Jason Rileys, you know, the politically backward, um, uh, what I call self hating folks. But you know, right. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's not for you or I to, to talk about other groups, but I am always amazed when I see some. I just don't understand why why any African-American would also be a, a right-wing evangelical. I just don't really get it. I'm always completely baffled. Some of them don't, you're right, but some of them don't know any better. I, I, I mean, uh, there are some folk who, who conflate theological and doctrinal. Um, they conflate political conservatism with moral conservatism. And so they think that uh, Pat Robertson, you know, re represents real Christianity, right? And so they accept it a whole lot without really being, being, being critical. And I think that's so much, they're just misled or, or, or uninformed. I think that has a lot to do with it, you know? I mean, we talked to, you talked a bit about Christian nationalism and white supremacy. I think there's a lot of, I'm not one of these people, but I know there are people that would like to try and differentiate between the two. Can you talk a little bit about why you think Actually, there's a big equal sign between nationalism and white supremacy. White, well, we're talking about Christian nationalism, right? Or just white, white Christian nationalism, white nationalism. Period. I mean, all in all, the instantiations. Um, you know, they 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 talk about um, reclaiming, hearkening back, and uh, hearkening, and 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 what they want to hearken back to is a time when they um, um, when they were more in control of society and social agenda. Uh, and the time they want to harken back to the time where were uh, even worse for black folks, right? And, and so that they want to hark back to a time when black people really didn't have, when having agency over our own lives was very, very difficult, right? So that's Chris, white Christian nationalism. And that's also white supremacy. You know, they want to harken back when whiteness was, was, was supreme. And I think they're inex inextricable you know, in the, in, in, in the long run. Um, not only that, so much of their uh, biblical interpretation is not only a, a, a oppressive, but, but it lends itself to, to racism. For instance, Song of Songs, and the King James talks about Queen of Sheba, that they have her, they translate it as saying, I am black, but, or yet, or nonetheless, I'm beautiful. But the Hebrew text says, I am black and I am beautiful. The King James Version that, they, that, that evangelicals cleave to is, is really, uh, it downplays the political. 
and 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 so they don't see the radicality uh, or the the egalit the egalitarian sensibilities of 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 Jesus. You know, it's he, crazy, right? I mean, the 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 clue is in the label. Look who look who's got look who the guy was who funded the translation and then had it distributed. King James. And then you tell me that it's not political. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's political in the sense that it's it's it it purposely downplays the political. <laughs> it was it yeah. was intended to to put people back in their place and affirm the hierarchy. And yeah, exactly. You know, prior to like what fifty years prior to that, there was I think they called the Bishop's Bibles translated, and uh, it had you know it, it it used the term tyrant a number of times. Well, you don't find that anywhere. King no. James Bible. Exactly. King James doesn't want anything that would challenge imperial power. Is this where something like we don't see American, African American Christianity to be all patriotic and nationalistic? Is it is it because whites are reading a different Bible, or they're reading different parts of the Bible? What I'm I'm curious. What is it about it? Because it's not like belief in the resurrection or in the virgin birth. It's not belief in the atonement of of sins it's those don't seem to be the things that lead to nationalism what are the white christians doing what are they looking at that's different well the difference i think for instance you look at the period when the african-american spiritual you know musical tradition um you know during the 19th century the most often used uh, joke was um the exodus because black folks identified with that but that's not the same in in in, in white christianity you know they don't it doesn't focus on the liberation. They, uh, they, they like expansion. They like the stuff about go into the land and expand and take over. Yeah. Yeah. And they talk about, uh, what was this? Uh, um, the, uh, the curse of Cain, the Cain and rather, I'm sorry. Why is it all run together in my head? You know, but, but essentially, you know, they, they have the, the curse of, uh, of, of, of Canaan. Um, not the curse of what's the, the, the races, the curse. Oh, of ham. Ham, yeah. Ham, when it's really Canaan who's cursed in the Bible, well, they claim Ham and Ham represents black people and all that. I mean, it's it's crazy, but you know that's what, where they arrive, and uh, and many people still believe that. You know? But it's not coming from. This is the thing: is it's not coming from the scriptures. It, it it was deeply entrenched and already there, and then they are finding what they want in the Bible. But they they came into it already convinced white supremacists, right? No, well, I mean, that, it, that's what's it, happening. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah, the Bible didn't make them um, make them white supremacists. So you know, the Bible's always been an ideological tool of domination. You know, and uh, since um, Constantine's time, you know, yeah, for for sixteen hundred years. Your book was to me like a really good, like I said, it's sort of a compendium of of a moment in time or of a of a really powerful group within Christendom. Sadly, a very dominant group within Christendom, but it. And one of the things that you were, I think a lot of our listeners would be very interested to the, the connection between the moral majority movement and segregation. You mentioned this earlier as school segregation. Can we talk a little bit about the roots of the modern evangelicalism in America and, and racism? Yeah, well, you know, in, in the, my book, Christians Against Christianity, I, uh, you know, I bring a um, interesting perspective because this subject you know, touched my life, my, my, my family's life. This modern evangelical movement really has racist roots. I mean, uh, it's, it's born out of racism, uh, which is anti-biblical. 
So it's, it's, it's unchristian from the beginning. But when um, the IRS during the, the Carter administration ruled that educational institutions that practice segregation could not get federal funds, you know, we had this huge hue and cry from the evangelical movement about, um, you know, how terrible this was. And Jerry Falwell was one of the main leaders. And, and, you know, he's a, was a segregationist. And, you know, I, I quote some of the stuff he says, as you know, in the book. And, and so they built the movement on that. Then when the, the effect of, of its, its racism started to sort of wane a little, they, they didn't, have, didn't get as much, as much press, as much traction as they want. You know, um, a number of those top leaders of the uh, evangelical movement of the time, Richard Land, um, Way Rich, a number of them came together and they to decide how what was the next issue they're going to pick up to get attention and 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 uh, that would help them strategically try to, to gain dominant domination over society, which is their goal to dominate all society. And so they decided, well, these are some good hot button issues. Let's talk. Let's raise hell over homosexuality, um, uh, you know, same sex marriage, which was really just a subset. Um, and an abortion, and you know, prior to that, those were not huge, uh, huge hot button uh, issues to them. In fact, the Southern Baptist Convention supported Roe v. Wade for years, right? With that, that's how they they they've really gotten their um, they they really started getting traction and getting attention and whipping people up, calling abortion murder, and uh, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. It doesn't even say anything about abortion being a sin. But you know, all of a, all of a sudden, um, Christianity wasn't about helping the poorest and the least and those hurting. It was about giving all the energy to the unborn, later for the already born, right? I mean, what what the heck is that? And then um, when this 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 really uh, soul sick, um, sociopathic uh, figure rose and 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 led the attack on the first black president uh, in very racist ways. I mean, they really latched on to this. And so they're still, they still have that momentum and that, and that anger, and they're still feeding on, on the sense of anger and outrage, excuse me, of there being a black president. And that's where they are today. It's that same racist anger that's pushing them um, and, and that's still being played upon. Uh, that's why he could, uh, Trump could talk, could talk about <clears throat> Mexican brothers and sisters who are, I mean, almost to uh, a person are Christians in Mexico, right? Uh, he could call them all kinds of names and murderers and all that kind of stuff. And and then and then peaceful Muslims. He could, you know, I mean, ninety nine point nine percent of Muslims are are peaceful. Just you know, um, there. I mean, terrorists in, in Islam are like uh, the KKK and and Christian. There's only that many of them, but. He could get that much traction because the hatred was already there, and all he did was open the Pandora's box and uh, and give voice to it, and that's why he's such a dangerous, dangerous, evil figure. I mean, let's face it; he has denigrated the Christian witness more than any major figure in American history. Uh, he's the most hateful figure, and we've had some hateful figures. You know, uh, um, Jackson was a, a hateful president. But Trump, that, of course, Jackson's his hero. Yeah, yeah. Trump's put his, more, put his more, portrait up. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. He's, Trump's even more, more destructive than he. 
hearing you talk now it reminded me of was it Cornell West that called you an intellectual prophet? Was that? Is that am I getting my phrase yeah, right? Yeah, he called me one of the last grand um, prophetic intellectuals. Prophetic intellectuals, because I want to talk a little bit about the word prophet, because a lot of a lot of charismatic and evangelical uh, American, when they hear the word prophet, they think foretelling the future, that kind of prophet, right? Yeah. That's not what you're doing. What are you, what are you? Can you tell us what are you doing when you're a an intellectual prophet. What are you doing? Well, that's one of Cornell's favorite terms, you know, prophetic. And he's, as you know, going back to the uh, classical prophets of the Bible, who um, their main function was not foretelling the future, it was forthtelling um, or critiquing the present, right? Speaking truth to power, pointing out social and political contradictions and oppressions. And so Cornell means that in, in that sense, the prophetic of standing up trying to speak truth to power and raise people's consciousness. And then, you know, the biblical prophets, the second part of prophecy was, and if you don't stop doing what you're doing, you're going to be public uh, punished for it. Well, I, you know, that's, I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, I think that all those who believe in, the, in the, the biblical witness have a prophetic responsibility to stand up um, and, and to speak out against um, oppression and mistreatment of people and social evils and down the line. Um, and so that's what I, I, I tried to do. And of course, that's what, I mean, Jesus was in that tradition, that prophetic tradition. And so the prophetic tradition is a part of Christianity, but of course, it's the first part of pro prophecy that's, that's a part of the, 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 of the Jesus witness. The second part is what these evangelicals and folks, what, what they're hung up on, right? talking about the last days and yeah, the, yeah. the rapture which you know no one really talked about till you know the end of the 1800s right <laughs> you're right <laughs> and so that's the difference i think we can talk about the destruction of a thing or the fruits of a thing what are the fruits you even have a whole chapter about this and i think you quite provocatively called it the strange fruits of white evangelicalism what are the fruits of this of this culture that we're about to start to see, do you think, or that we're seeing now? Well, the fruits are, uh, they're very bitter and, and rotten fruits. Um, the fruits we're, we're seeing is increased incivility. We're seeing uh, mistreatment of the weak and vulnerable as becoming a, a, a norm or very yeah. less, or the yes. very least ignoring yes. their needs. Yeah. Um, uh, we're seeing um, anti-democracy. As a norm for these people, they 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 don't want the bit, most bitter fruit. Let me just summarize this way: is that these right wing Christians, evangelical Christians, their goal and the fruit that they really want to bring forth is us all genuflecting at the altar of their beliefs. And so, what does that mean? It means not caring about the social safety net, not caring about people in need, caring more about the un, unborn, and not giving the damn about those who are already born. Um, they don't. They don't, they don't want folk to vote who they don't that they're not sure will vote their way. I mean, it's 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 all bad. None of it's good. And 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 one other fruit of it is is that they are why I, why I, I subtitle it how they are um, destroying our nation and our our faith. They're driving people away from Christianity by their mistrayal of this portrayal of of, of Christianity as. Um, a religion of hatred 
rather than one of, of love and care for the common good. Well, where empathy, I mean, a lot of democracy is, is also about patience and empathy. It's about giving, letting other people have voices that might not be your voice, right? Yes. And letting people have that space. And so much I'm watching in this culture is about dominating the space and purging it of any voice that doesn't agree with them. And it, it, it's all about dominion and it's all about control. And it's not at all about making space for anyone or for allowing uh, disagreement to just sit as disagreement. It's like there's, there's this constant addiction to control and power. Absolutely. Often wrapped up in a kind of a sentimental flag-waving patriotism, which, which is interesting to me to talk to you because it's like even that, even that sentimental patriotism, that kind of Norman Rockwell kids kicking their feet against the soda fountain and eating apple pie it's that's white supremacy as well that's a hankering after a day when when everyone had their place right and the whites are on top exactly and i couldn't sit at that soda fountain right that's exactly like yeah. i mean i don't know if you so i'm i'm from the more kind of anabaptist tradition i don't know if you spend much time with like stanley Hauvas and people like stanley Hauvas, but one of his one of his things is he's like sentimentalism is one of the worst sins of christianity is <laughs> that kind of wrapping up these awful evil things under this kind of sentimental gauze right this nostalgic sentimentalism just is a lie it's an utter lie and it it allows christians to just do the most evil things in the world and and feel good about themselves while they do it yes yes you know that's why it's ideological christianity you know where they're refracting their faith their doctrines everything through the uh, through the prism of their, their own interests, right? And their own selfish interests. And so whatever does not comport with their selfish interests and goals uh, does not make it through the prism, you know, <laughs> doesn't get through. So it's about ideology and it's about their interests. It's about selfish interests. It's not about the common good. It's not about caring for the least of these. It's not about acknowledging that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no love in um, mention at least in the public square, by right-wing evangelicals. No concern for justice, you know, which is the most often used, you know, concept, as you know, of, of uh, ethical concept in the whole Bible. You don't hear them talk about that, uh, or egalitarianism. No love for neighbor, no, um, as you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. You never hear any of that from them. It's a loveless ideological ideation and disfigurement of, of Christianity. And in that sense, it's anti christian let's go to the other word it's anti-christ right i mean i think you even talk about this don't you yeah and yeah. a lot of christians get really like they roll their eyes if you start to talk about the antichrist but let's talk about the antichrist what what do you what's going on there i mean you're a johannine scholar you 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 know you're john what's the antichrist then it's interesting most people don't bother to read what the bible says about antichrist right yeah, yeah. like we you know Revelation doesn't talk about an antichrist, talks about a beast. That's something different, but that's what people think is the antichrist. The Johannine letters, and first John talks about antichrist and antichrist plural, right? And how did he how define them? Those uh, essentially is those who are teaching the uh, antithesis of what Jesus taught in the name of Jesus, right? And, and so um, it goes back to this whole what they call, as you know, the, 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 the docetic, what they call the docetic heresy from docaine to seem, they, they, uh, J 
John's writing to those who said that Jesus only seemed to have been crucified. He was a phantasmagoric figure, uh, but he really wasn't crucified because he was, you know, too great to be crucified. It's like, you know, this Lord of glory, he couldn't have been, couldn't have died the uh, ignominious death. So they said that he only seemed to be crucified, right? And so, so, so what the Johann Nine writer is concerned about, well, if Jesus only seemed to be crucified, then, and if he wasn't really crucified, then we don't have an, an atoning death, you know? And so we don't have a basis for our, our faith. So he said, that is the antithesis of Christianity. Well, that's an antichrist. So today, we, the antichrist we have, they're anti because they're teaching the antithesis of what the gospel what the gospel teaches things that we just talked about which is political right i mean this is the thing like if you deny that jesus was crucified you're denying that he was the kind of guy that rome looked at and thought we need to get rid of him it, it, that's exactly that's true that's right that's you right. know it's it's political you're and it's triumphalistic it's the it's the sin that peter had on the road to jerusalem and he said oh you're not going to die and jesus looks at him and says get behind me satan Exactly. You know, and you're right about the triumphalism, you know, this whole King Jesus and all of that, you know, Jesus never said anything like that. You know, God was God was the king. But but you're right. I mean, he was he was executed as a seditionist against the Roman Empire. And to say that he wasn't crucified is to um, deny that, you know, to deny that whole uh, tradition is to deny everything is to deny the politicality of all the politicality that 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 he taught us to deny Luke 418, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, anointed me to bring good news to the poor and liberation to the oppressed. You know, it's 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 all that. So in that sense, they embody the spirit of of Antichrist. The right wing evangelicals embody that. At least their belief embodies that. Yeah, right. And I, I was just thinking as you're talking of you know Paula White. Yeah, we we know who Paula White is, the spiritual advisor to Trump. During the, <laughs> during that whole thing about she said Jesus couldn't have been an illegal immigrant because he never broke the law. And if he'd broken the law, he couldn't have been our savior. And I just thought there isn't a single page in the New Testament where Jesus isn't breaking a law. It's so ignorant. You know, she's, she, you know, so interesting. You have this non-spiritual charlatan, supposed to be the spiritual advisor of a non-spiritual creep. It's, 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 it's really sick. It's, um, it's it's the whole and, and that's and that's part of the, the problem you have these folk who basically don't know what they're talking about they're performers like her i mean she's just corrupt to the core and it's easy to to demonstrate that and they're out telling uh, people that he is some of them say he is the messiah he's a cyrus messiah and all of that and people believe them because they're on tv and uh you know they have books out and it's it's like a, a, an evil cobble, you know. You couldn't have done it any better if if uh, if you had planned it that way, you know. Uh, to have have um, these preachers supporting um, an evil actor who's destroying this nation still. Yeah, still. Well, I want to talk about the the you, you, your book brings us up to the present. What's happening? What's going to happen? I mean, you're the you're the intellectual prophet. You tell me. <laughs> Use your foretelling at the moment. I don't, yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm not the foretelling kind. But, <laughs> I know. But in, in, you know, in my book, Christmas Against Christianity, I, um, you know, I, I basically look at what's, what's going on now. And, and I think in my chapter on, on immigration, I do 
talk about how the nation is cutting off his nose despite his face. Personally, I think that we've, the American experiment has reached its zenith because democracy has, has been so maligned. I think that we're going to have this kind of culture war and, and divisiveness for a long time because look how look at how much the hatred and, and racism and distrust has bubbled to the surface. And let's think about how, what it might take to tamp that down. They, they don't, these folk are not willing to listen to reason. They're not willing to listen to, to any alternative uh, voices. It doesn't matter if you show them chapter and verse that what they're being told is wrong. They don't hear that. So how do we counteract this movement? You know, I, I think this country is gone. I, I see every, a good deal of repression coming, rather, whether it's from the left or the right, because it's from the right, well, we know what their repression is going to be like. And if it's from the, the left, or let's say left of center, um, it's going to be to try to keep, to keep these people from overrunning the rest of the society. So personally, I'm not hopeful at, at all about what's happening in, in America. So what can we do? I think the only thing we can do is to really hold more fast and, and more strongly to our convictions and to voice them more loudly in the public square to try to raise consciousness. And I don't know what else we can do. When I grew up in the, in, in the, as a street soldier in the nationalist movement, you know, we thought we have to, at some point, take up arms. It was a very romanticized notion. But I'm afraid that um, we, folk on, we're gonna see folk on the progressive side start taking up arms too now because these guys on the right Trump has told has told them it's all right to kill folk. Yeah. It's all right to overrun. It's all right to not respect anybody's rights. And they're taking that to heart. Well it's like when you look at uh, I know I know it's one of those things where you always supposedly lose the argument when you bring up Hitler and the Nazis. But any student of Nazi Germany will talk about the cult of death that pervaded the rise of Hitler. And 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 any student of some of these patriotic cultures that we're describing. They're a cult of death. They, death is the solution. Killing is the solution to all their problems. Dying for something is the solution to all their problems. They valorize and worship death. It's a cult of death. It is, it is. And, and whether it's literal or not, I mean, well, most of them don't even think beyond killing, killing people, but you know, they wanna kill ideas, they wanna kill opposition, right? I'm surprised we haven't seen more um, attacks on the press, um, on journalists, you know, than we have. Uh, you know, Hitler had all that started now. And I, I do believe that we're, and, and I'm very cognizant of this, that, you know, these, had, you know these, these various cells and stuff, I do believe they are planning, assaulting, if not assassinating, dissenting voices. I, I think that's a very real thing to be con concerned about. I've gotten some, some hatred. I haven't gotten death threats yet, but if I get any, you know, I'm not going to walk around as prey for them. It's a shame you end up having to violate some of your own beliefs in order to stay alive. What do you think? I, if, if this is thrusting us back into the world of where Jesus is relevant to us yet again, I don't want to be a sentimental. To, I'm not going to ask you what are some glimmers of hope. I'm not asking you that question because that's a sentimental question. People just tack on the end of something. But I am thinking like the reality of the goodness of Jesus is becoming more clear to me now 
that I have rejected American evangelical nationalism. So the goodness of Jesus is more clear because the darkness is so obvious. Mm. But how do I live? How do we live with that? Seeing it is one thing, but but you know, have you have you noticed groups? Can you have you seen groups to starting to to put the goodness of Jesus into action? Have you started to see? Maybe it's little pockets here and there, but have you started to see some some Jesus goodness? That's interesting. I personally have not in, encountered, and I don't know that it, it, that folk are re- reclaiming that, saying that this is. I mean, to any great extent, so no. far. You know, you raise an interesting point because that might actually, I think it'll probably start happening as an alternative. You know, we have to think back to the civil rights movement. It was very um, unlikely that there would be a a movement based on love and nonviolence that would rise up and be victorious against such entrenched hatred that even had, you know, more more official and governmental uh, support behind it and, and, and you know, police behind it. it was, I, I, I'm thinking we're going to see it because with the death of the, the murder of, of George Floyd, what was so amazing and so touching is that there were uh, uh, so many, I mean, overwhelming numbers of whites who were outraged just simply out of their sense of humanity and who put themselves on the line got out and, uh, and, and marched and went to jail and, you know, were injured and uh, some were killed. You know, um, that gives me hope. I mean, I, I can't believe that we're not going to see some kind of movement like, like that again. But I, I do think that the movement against police terrorism against Blacks and the support is gotten by, by, by whites, particularly young white people, that gives, a, that, that presages uh, some, some hope for me, I think. I, I do wonder whether we're starting to know, realize the truth that the Jesus movement has always been a resistance movement as well. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it always is a resistance against the majority, right? Well, no, I agree with that, but I don't know if we're starting to see it. I, no, oh, I right. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, I see yeah. what you mean. No, but you're, you're right about that. But, I mean, I think more people are starting to see it. And Reverend Barber, he has un- unflaggingly lifted up um, the, the ethical and moral vision uh, of, of the gospel. And, uh, and I think that's making a difference. I don't know how big a difference it, it's making to those who aren't already there. There are going to be others, uh, you know, who, who are going to speak up, I would hope. Well, this, this actually leads me to the thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I was pleased to see Beacon Press, it was the publisher of your book. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know, do you know? Do you know another famous author that shares your imprint? Do you know another uh, one who attacks Christendom? Christendom. Did no. you know that Soren Kierkegaard? So I'm holding really? it up now. Yeah, you can't see. Uh, listeners can't see this, but I'm showing. I'm showing Dr. Hendricks this. The attack upon Christendom by Soren Kierkegaard was published by Beacon Press. In the <laughs> really? And this book I'm holding up right now, mm-hmm. I found it in a secondhand bookshop for one mm. pound and it changed my life wow. and that was a beacon press and and you know Kierkegaard was and here you've written a Christians against Christianity and here Kierkegaard wrote attack upon Christendom <laughs> and he was a Danish prophet and in 1850s Denmark he totally lost the culture war that's for sure right yeah. he totally lost and yet 100 years later his book is published by beacon press and I pick it up in a secondhand bookshop and lots of people have picked that up and it's almost like these prophetic voices their generation is lost 
but they're writing for the next generation. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, because I studied him in seminary, uh, Kierkegaard, and yeah, yeah, his books are in print. Yeah, Bacon, Bacon's a fine, fine, fine press, you know. And you know, you thought of a famous figure, I was thinking of Cornel West, my, who's a buddy of mine, you know, his, his big breakthrough book uh, was, um, what was it, Dem Dem uh, Race Matters, yeah, that, that was with Beacon Press. Was that? See, because I know that Professor West also discovered Kierkegaard when he was a young man, and Kierkegaard really activated him too. So this, there's, there's something going on here. This is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, I hope that Christians Against Christianity has, uh, I'm not thinking about centuries impact, but I hope it has some impact in, in, in the present. It, well, it has. I mean, I've gotten some really amazing responses about uh, how it's changed people. Uh, and, you know, that's so... That's what we try to do. That's what it's all about. Raise consciousness and touch. Well, I, I do. Yeah, I do think as like a, a, a work that tells us how we got to where we are right now. It, it, it's sort of peerless, really. I, I, the, the research in it is quite impressive. And you let people speak in their own voice and they hang themselves by their own rope. But it's still really good to see. I really thank you for it. Do you have any other uh, recommendations for our listeners, people who are who may be interested in in your work or some of the work you're doing? Do you, do you have any other books that you'd recommend to our listeners about this stuff? You know, I, I would hope your listeners would read Christians Against Christianity, How Right-Wing Evangelicals Are Destroying Our Nation and Our Faith. I think that it says some important things right now that need to be said. And it's a, a book I wrote out of great faith and pain. An earlier book, um, The Politics of Jesus, mine that's actually still getting selling now what's it, it was came out in 2006 so 15 years later still selling um you know um i've been told and it's been treated like a very important book i think it it, it it's it's a, a great background book to this one um i like uh, robert uh p jones book white too long robert p jones is is uh is a, a white ethicist who's actually the head of prri public religion research institute and he has this great book, um, White Too Long, in which he is came out of evangelicalism, and he writes as a formal, as one who grew up in it in the South in Mississippi, but he writes um, in a, in a, a, a very passionate and informed way as an insider, um, and he has a PhD, so it's very historical of of what white evangelicalism has been and done and what it is. It's a very courageous and very informative book. I heartily recommend that book. Well, these are all great things to get on with. Uh, Dr. Aubrey Hendricks, thank you so much for coming to the tent. I've really uh, appreciated and been honored by this conversation. I wish you and your book all the best success. Thank you. Thank you. Mention the title again so folk will know. Christians Against Christianity. <laughs> I love I'll, it. And I'll, 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 the evangelicals are destroying our nation and our faith. And I will be putting a link to that book in the show notes as well. So it's going to be very Great. easy for Thank anybody. you so much, brother. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm enjoying well, it. Well, thank you for braving the time difference. So I'm going to let you get on with your day and, uh, okay. and I'll get on with my evening. Well, thank you. Have a good one now. Go so well. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. To further support the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about 10th Theology at www.tenttheology.com. 
Thank you for joining us and God bless everyone.